Hello and welcome to another episode of The Advantage. I'm your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Tuesday, December 5th. And on today's show, we are doing a nice little two-part pod. I'm actually recording this first part midday on Tuesday before any of the games start because we're going to do a nice little strategy breakdown into hedging bets. So tonight, we have the elimination rounds of the NBA's in-season tournament continuing. Last night, my Celtics 9-1 to to win the in-season tournament future crashed and burned. Tonight, I got the Suns 11-1 to in a ticket to win the in-season tournament. So I will walk you guys through, because they both present nice hedge options, what my strategy is. First of all, what is a basic approach to hedging? I assume if you're listening to a gambling podcast, you know the basic idea of a principle behind hedging. But we will go through the pros and cons of actually instituting that hedge bet and submitting that wager. We're going to go through a few common situations where you might want to hedge. You might actually not want to hedge. So we find these when we're potentially in parlays, in futures tickets, like my bets tonight and last night, in a live form, say your game is looking really good and you could live bet the other way, or even in a contest. So a lot of people this time of year are in things like NFL survivor pools. If you're reaching that and it's week 14, you got a few other entries in the tournament. You got a few teams left to choose from. You got four weeks left until that might cash and pay out big, big uh, bucks. Now the time where you might even want to start hedging from a contest perspective. So we will go through a lot of these common situations. We will go through how to hedge. We will go through the choices that you have in instituting a payout structure. We will talk about using market indicators to inform your decision so you know what to do. We are going to build a nice bank of information that really can be cross-applied to any hedge situation. So while I have the Suns 11 to 1, which I'm going to go in detail about how I'm handling that for tonight, you could have the Pelicans. You could have the Knicks tonight. You could have the Bucks. This could be used for a... Houston Rockets to make the play-in tournament future. Any of these things that we have, we can go through these principles of strategies behind hedge, apply our situation, our numbers to the factors that we consider, and then it will spit out an answer. It's kind of like an equation or a formula where you have different inputs and you're going to get an output of what to do to handle the situation. Now, not direct because all the numbers are constantly fluctuating, But there are some basic principles that we can definitely review and do a little strategy deep dive. But how to hedge in sports betting? Why is it a good idea? When is it not a good idea? When should you choose to do it? What should be the reasons why you choose to do it? And how do you absorb information from the rest of the market to know what's the best decision in your given exact example? Then I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go watch. Jalen Brunson try and take down Giannis. I'm going to go watch my guy LeBron, favorite player ever, play against my sons that I have the ticket on with mixed emotions. I'll let you know how I'm handling that very soon. And then I'm going to come back on the pod, record a little late night part two, and do a slate breakdown for tomorrow's games, review the best bets that I have, and go through that like it's a normal Wednesday. This has been a long as fuck intro. Before we get started, let me just remind everyone to rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening to, to watch the show on the Fantasy Basketball International YouTube channel, 
to follow me on x.com at fiddlespicks, and most of all, to sign up for my free gambling newsletter, fiddlespicks.substack.com. I'm always bringing the heat, a lot of daily best bets, giveaways, DFS contests, you name it, all the podcast links. You want to be signed up for my free gambling newsletter, fiddlespicks.substack.com. Again, four minutes long on the intro. What am I doing? Let's get this thing started. I'm the type to get shit done. You the type to observe. March Madness on my speakers, but today's November 23rd. Got something loud in the blunt, yeah. I don't say what I want, yeah. Probably somewhere sunny and tan. Foreign women in the sun, yeah. That's all that I need. That's all that I need. That's all that I need. Got my brothers with me. Got my brothers with me and my mama's healthy. That's all that I need. I always start singing and bopping during the intro because if you're watching on the YouTube, it brings on this graphic screen and takes me out into this, the studio room. I'm singing. I'm dancing during that. It's November 23rd. It's actually, it's Tuesday, December 5th. Um, all right. So we are going to talk about a strategy guide to hedging bets. Let me quickly start off at the top. I don't want to make you guys, me speak down to you guys or to think you guys are schmucks for not knowing this, but I do want to first at least give the broad definition for what a hedge is. If you are listening to a gambling podcast five or six minutes into the start and you clicked a strategy guide for hedging bets, I'm going to assume you know the basic principle, but hedging a bet is simply when you already have an existing bet ticket and you bet the other side or another result that allows you to do two things, either lock in profit and slash or, we will get into the specifics, minimize risk. Now, for me, in the way that I approach sports betting, we talk about pros and cons and why you should do these things. The biggest pro behind instituting a hedge and actually submitting that wager, the biggest reason why you sometimes should do it, there's reasons not to do it that will outweigh it. But whenever you do do it, or whenever I do it, the main reason why I did it is to minimize risk. It is so often misunderstood in the gambling world that it's not always considering the ceiling and what our potential wins are, but we also have to consider what our potential losses are and minimizing our risk as we go through this market and keep betting into it. We want to know, can we have big wins? and small losses. So that's why I do a lot of things like playbacks, opening middles, sometimes hedges. Uh, But in general, I am not a fan of hedging. It is something I generally try and avoid. Some of the uh, most convoluted two letters in the sports gambling industry are the terms EV, expected value. And just so that you know, generally, with a tiny exceptions that I don't think we're going to get into today because it's going to get too nitty gritty. Instituting a hedge is generally a minus EV play. It reduces the ceiling. So our expected value is going to be let is going to be reduced. If we have a Celtics nine to one ticket and the Celtics are favored in the game, and now you're taking the other side and reducing it, playing it back or the other way, You are bringing down your potential ceiling. And in general, it is a minus EV decision. So, so much of what I decide to do is try and find bets 
where the odds that I pay in terms of the implied probability is actually less than my actual chance to win. So I like my chance to win to exceed my implied probability. That's the normal terminology that I use for this. And that's what I consider positive EV. So that's generally what I'm constantly going for. Get a good EV on all your bets. You should have a positive return in a long-term sample size. That's the name of the game here, baby. But hedging in itself with a few caveats with, did you get CLV on the hedge? Did you open up middles through key numbers? What is the what is the chance of opening up a positive middle and it hitting? That, that is way too deep in the weeds for this basic strategy episode. But just know the con of hedging. And the reason why you should generally try and avoid it is because it's a minus EV decision. Okay, let's go through some common situations in which this applies to. I think the obvious one is parlays. That's the one we should talk about at the top. Because that's the one that most sports bettors, in terms of like a public thing, and probably who's listening to this podcast, most people institute hedges in parlay situations. When you've had four of your five legs of your dumbest fuck parlay, shouldn't submit it. But now four or five of your legs have hit. You have the Cincinnati Bengals. Money line on Monday night football against the Jaguars. They're already underdogs. You're like, should I take the Jaguars money line to, and it was probably an exorbitantly priced money line. Let's say it was like minus 600 because I know the spread was minus 10. Do I take the Jaguars money line to work off of my parlay a little bit? And the general terminology that people use for this is to lock in profit. And it really, it kind of pisses me off. This is why I say I prefer minimize risk. Minimize risk is more important than lock in profit because with the given parlay that you're talking about, if you had planned just to hedge the last leg because it's the last leg left and because you have the ability to lock in profit, then what you actually should have done is never included the last leg in the first place. Because if you had just had a four leg parlay and you didn't include the Jaguars money line or whatever, and you didn't have to consider instituting a hedge or a potential cash out. If you just had that four leg parlay, I could almost damn near guarantee your payout would be higher and you would have already hit it. Then have you get pay for a hedge, reduce your expected outcome and win either one way or the other. So if you are planning to hedge a parlay for the sole reason of this is the last leg that I have left. So maybe I should hedge it because I'm in a good spot and I should lock in profit. Then you should have never put that last leg in your damn parlay. Be aware of the chronological order of your parlay legs. Ask yourself if this gets to Monday night and I'm and I'm doing well with my four first NFL legs hitting. Am I gonna wanna? Am I gonna wanna hedge? The answer should always be no, barring something happening that you did not expect. Barring some real late injury news breaking. Barring, I think the game was in Duval, Jacksonville. Barring hearing that the Bengals team plane had horrible technical problems, that they didn't get to the hotel until four in the morning. And then the the hotel had a blackout fire alarm where they had to uh, evacuate the premise at, at 8, 730 in the morning. And the team got no sleep. 
Now, if I found out that situation, I'd start hedging. But in general, if you are rocking with the parlay, you're not hedging that for the sole reason of, I want to lock in profit. That's dumb. You know on this pod, I will tell you, and I will tell you with tough love, if you are doing something dumb as fuck, like putting in a parlay, and then either cashing out or hedging a parlay, like what's what's 2x or 3x dumb as fuck? And that's what you are. Um, okay, let's go into a futures bet, because that's the situation that I find myself in tonight. Although it is not uh, like a title future or an awards future, this is one of the first like NBA, and because of the nature of the newness of the NBA in-season tournament, it's very new to have a futures ticket that either catches or dies in the NBA in mid-December. So this is definitely a new situation. But let me walk you through kind of the reasoning for why I placed this futures bet when I did. because. The reason why you place said bet should absolutely factor in to your ability to determine the hedge. When I placed Celtics 9-1 to and when I placed Suns 11-1, to first off, shout out to Bill Simmons. He talked about specifically those two being really nice prices on one of his podcasts. I heard, I heard it. I reiterated it on my podcast. Good content creators steal from each other. I'm going to call myself a good content creator. I reiterated on my podcast. I bet it myself. And we got to a point where they were both in the elimination rounds of the NBA in-season tournament. They both made it through the group stage. And they were both in really good positions for their bet tickets. So the reason why I placed Celtics 9-1 to and Suns 11-1 to was because I felt they had an outsized advantage in comparison to the rest of their group. And we had those four group stage games before getting to these elimination rounds. And I thought the Suns had a clear edge on the rest of their group. And I thought the Celtics had a clear edge on theirs. Now, small caveat, I think they both ended up as the wild card teams and being on the road and neither of them actually won their group. But we're not going to talk about that. They actually made it into the tournament and the elimination rounds, so that's all that really mattered. But the impetus for submitting the bet in the first place was I think these guys are going to move past their group stage. Then we got to the elimination rounds. And now what I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, the hedge opportunity is starting to present itself. We have three clear games until that ticket cashes. Quarterfinals against the Pacers. For the Celtics, semifinals against the winner of Knicks Bucks, and then finals against whoever's going to come out of the West Side. And for the Suns, it was quarterfinals against the Lakers, semifinals against the winner of Kings Pelicans, and then finals against the Eastern Conference winner. So both of my teams, both of my bet tickets were three wins away. From either a nine to one or eleven to one cash, so there was very clear end of the tunnel. I see the light; it's beaming. It's dark at night. I'm driving through the tunnel, and you see the split, and you're like, "Ooh, there's that pot of gold with a nine to one payout or eleven to one payout." So I said to myself, 
the opportunity has presented itself for me to hedge these tickets. Now, if you read my write-ups, if you subscribe to my Substack, of course you subscribe to my Substack and read my write-ups. Um, you would know that I chose not to hedge off of my Boston Celtics ticket. I even bet the Boston Celtics against the Indiana Pacers last night to kind of I wouldn't necessarily uh, say add on to my position, even though it's kind of what I did. It was more like the decision was made not to hedge. And then there was a second decision made that this still presents a good opportunity to bet for a single game. So for the Celtics, I decided not to hedge because the line opened at Celtics minus 4.5. There was clear money coming in on the Celtics. I grabbed it from a single bet perspective when it was at the 4.5, which is my favorite number to grab, a favorite at 4.5 in the NBA. It's like, it's like an NFL minus 2.5 favorite. You'll, lo you'll love to get the good side of key numbers because in the NBA, five, or rather seven, five, six, and eight, in that order are the four most common outcomes in NBA games. So when you are grabbing a Boston Celtics minus 4.5 and you have the four most common outcomes on your side of the bet ticket, then you are in a good spot in terms of a key number. So I like the key number. I like the betting splits. I like the matchup. I, I knew that Halliburton was going to be coming back from his knee soreness and upper respiratory infection. Um, yeah, okay. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, Derek White on him, Drew Holiday on him. This is going to be a nice matchup for the Celtics. I did not mind the Porzingis injury and him being out. The, Celt the Pacers are not a team that beats you by attacking the rim. They beat you by pace and space. And I thought bringing back a defensive rim protecting sliding big like Al Horford who has tons of big game experience, who have played with the other Celtics core pieces. I thought, okay, in a one game scenario, he's going to be able to slide in just fine. So for this game, I decided I am not going to hedge the Boston Celtics. It, it, even so, the, the Celtics were like minus 200 favorites on the money line to win. I think it was like, it was past minus 190. So let's say it closed at 190. That's a 65% implied probability that the Celtics were going to win the game. I had the sports opinion, which is not what I bet into, that it was a positive matchup. I had the right side of key numbers. I had strong betting splits. I had CLV being gained on the Boston Celtics side. Now, for all of these reasons, I am taking information in from the market. This is a Celtics-type market for this specific game. Their implied probability on a money line is 65%, and they're already the sharp side, so I'd boost that up a little bit higher than that. Generally, the sharp sides cover at good rates, so they have better, it's worth more than the odds suggest outright. If you get it at the right number, which I did at the 4.5 and at the essentially money line on a nine to one ticket, I was in a really good spot with this Celtics position. I knew that I don't like hedging. It is generally a minus EV decision. I felt very comfortable about the Celtics in this spot. 
So I didn't touch it. Now, am I recording this podcast with a little bit of egg on my face because the Celtics just lost? So I lost my two-unit bet and my one-unit on the future? Yeah. Look at this yoke right on my forehead. Anyways, I actually should speak a little bit to that. The reason why I did bet, even though it was a different decision that I made, I talk about things like max exposure on a line. And I often use three units as what you should have max exposure on a game. And, and, and that will be split up into spreads, totals, props, whatever. I generally don't want to have more than three units of exposure in either direction. I'm not going to talk about middles yet. That'll make it too complicated. So generally, I will have three units as my max bet on a line. So for this game, I put only two units on the bet that I was on because I felt it was a really strong cap spot and I already had one unit of the future. So it was baked into my potential risk. A lot of hedging and the strategies around it are about minimizing risk. And even though I wasn't going to initiate my hedge, I also wasn't going to juice up my risk past my normal exposure anyways. So the decision that I made for the Celtics game last night was to not hedge. And fuck me for doing that, right? So I actually totally feel confident in my strategy. I would do it again every single time. Every single time. I look back at the Super Bowl last year where I had the Eagles 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl from March. I think it was March of 2022. I bet the, the Eagles. And by February 2023, they were playing against the Chiefs. I actually had bet the Eagles in the playoffs aside from my hedge and not hedged at all in rounds. I think they had a buy in rounds two and three. And then I started to hedge in the Super Bowl. So there was a huge win that came out of probably one of the most recent times I did a situation like this, or even Denver, uh, Denver Nuggets. I had 14 to one against the Miami Heat. We crushed last year in futures. I don't know if this year will be the same. I don't have any sexy Super Bowl tickets right now. I, I do have two sexy NBA futures that I really like. But um, yeah, I, I I did it with the Nuggets when they were going against the Heat. I, I barely touched that hedge. I actually hedged the Nuggets against the Phoenix Suns and the Lakers, but not against the Timberwolves or the Heat. So you need to start including some of these market factors. That's kind of the long-winded way of what I'm saying is understand who the board thinks is going to win and how the board is moving relative to the opening price line anyways. So for the Celtics, I'll go back to it again. They thought the Celtics were going to win at the opening line, and then the line movement showed that the Celtics are going to win by even more. So I don't need to initiate the hedge then. Egg on my face. It was wrong. I'm not crying about it, clearly. You see tears in these eyes? No. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going to just move on, and we're going to handle this. Oh. We're going to handle this Suns-Lakers situation now because I have 11-1 to 1 on the Suns side, and I feel a little bit differently about this one. So let's quickly talk about the Suns situation, and then I want to get into live bets and contest plays. Suns situation, let's, let's, let's go through it all live in real time and why I'm going to hedge this a teeny-weeny bit. So the uh, Lakers... This game is in L.A. It is single elimination. The Lakers are the favorites by two points. We have seen – let me pull up the splits. 
a little bit of movement towards the Suns, but relatively a flat line and it being back to its opening line. So there's really no strong indications from the betting market as to who's the sharp side. We have 55% of the bets, 55% of the money on Suns, 45% bets, 45% money Lakers. So very split in terms of where's big money going. It's it's Tickets are pretty much even on both sides. There's not a large handle in one direction. And so there's very lit, and the number hasn't moved at all. It's still at the, minus, the plus minus two right now. So we really don't have much information to know about this game. And now I have to add in the factor that Suns are away and the underdog in this game. Now the Celtics were away, but they were the favorite and the sharp side. And a great matchup. I don't know if this is a great matchup for the Suns. They haven't had nearly as, as much time together to play with this core group in big games. as this Lakers team that's basically a replica of what made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. So I actually think the Lakers are going to win tonight. And I am going to hedge this bet. So now we get into what are my choices for payout structure? How do I go about hedging this bet? And how, what's my final decision going to be? So pretty easy. Your choices for payout structure are like three things. One, cover whatever you would, lo- would lose. So you bet a unit on, on, the, on the Suns to win the in-season tournament, 11 to 1. So you have one unit of risk there. The Lakers money line is minus 130. So you would bet 1.3 units to win one on the Lakers. This is simply covering your losses. It is initiating a hedge that keeps your highest ceiling possible while, again, minimizing the risk. You do not lock in profit in any way, shape, or form. Another thing that you can do is tilt this position towards a Lakers win. Now, this is not something that I would recommend doing in this specific situation, because if you tilt it towards the Lakers win and the Suns end up winning, you still have two more games to work with, and you probably just add a lot to your risk position by putting it on the Lakers and now having that be the losing side. So if you were to put two units on the Lakers tonight, three units on the Lakers tonight, and that ticket ends up losing, you need to go into your next round against the Pelicans because we know the outcome of that game. If it were to be Suns Pelicans, you would need to be balancing from your one unit of Suns plus your three units that you just bet and lost on the Lakers. So now you're saying, okay, I need to hedge up to four units. So then because the payout would be two more games further than that, and now you're hedging to get four units back from an 11 to one ticket, your window is starting to become really small and it's probably not the smartest thing. So while you can tilt Lakers, while you can just cover losses or third option, just split the difference and do somewhere in between, the situation that I would much, much, much strongly suggest is keep your ceiling of your futures ticket and simply hedge to minimize risk. Don't lock in any profit and just have no loss. So what I'm going to be doing on this game is 1.3 units to win one on the Lakers money line. Let's talk about why that's the decision to hedge. That's the right bet to hedge because if the Suns lose tonight, the Suns 11 to one ticket is dead. 
And the winner is Lakers money line tonight. You do not want to start hedging winners of a in-season tournament finals by starting to pick other teams to win and grabbing like Bucks and Lakers and blah, blah, blah. No, you need to find the direct opposite result that causes your bet ticket to die. So the, the, the way that your bet ticket dies in your future is if the Lakers win tonight. So that should be the right way to go about it. It becomes way hard and way trickier to start hedging things like futures, like awards races in futures markets, because you have a big selection of people that can win it. So that's why you have to kind of wait till like much later in the season when the odds have clearly become two, three, four, five people. Like if you're in an NFL MVP situation right now and you have like a beautiful Tyreek Hill ticket, you could start adding in uh, Hertz, Brock Purdy, Mahomes, and you can probably all do them at relative values that no matter who wins, you'll, you'll, you'll start to make money. That's a tough situation. Start picking off multiples. I like to hedge a futures ticket with the direct opposite money line. So if I'm hedging an NBA finals ticket, let's say I have Celtics to win the NBA finals and the Celtics get the Knicks in the first round. The way to hedge off Celtics to win the NBA finals is to take Knicks to beat the Celtics in the first round. Fuck who's going to win the tournament or the finals. doesn't matter. Find out where your ticket will die and what's the winning side of that bet. Straight up. So that's how to hedge. And that's a little bit of structure of hedging. So it might not always be a direct. In fact, it usually won't be in a futures market. It's not going to be this direct NBA title pick hedged with a different NBA title pick. It's going to be hedged in a money line or a game or a series format. And it might even be a different bet type, but that is still the best way to directly hedge because you won't get caught up in potentially opening up a Polish middle where you took Knicks to win the title, Celtics to win the title, Knicks win the first series and then get smacked in the mouth in the next. Smack in a mouth, the Knicks. That doesn't happen. The next smack on the teams in the mouth. So, for this uh, Suns, I'm going to be betting 1.3 to win one. I also quickly want to mention, like, forget your other futures ticket. Like, I can't be using my loss on the Boston Celtics and trying to rec- recoup that in the hedge of the Suns. The two need to be unrelated, that you need to water under the bridge with how the last situation handles see another day, wake up, move the fuck on, and only hedge against this particular ticket. Because, again, if, if the Suns win this game, like, I'm betting Lakers' money line tonight. I'm the biggest LeBron fan you will ever meet. My doggy's name LeBron. True story. Uh, I'm rooting for the Suns tonight. Loyal to my bankroll above all else. The two other things that I quickly want to touch on. We said, don't you dare fucking hedge a parlay. We said... You probably should lean towards hedging the minimal amounts in these uh, shorter situations. Now, two other situations you might find yourself in are contests or live bets. So let's do live betting first. Uh, Let's pull up the board for tomorrow. Let's pick an easy example of of a live bet that we could take. 
we're just going to make this one a real straightforward, easy example. The Orlando Magic are playing the Cleveland Cavaliers tomorrow in Cleveland. This Magic team really freaking good. This Cavaliers team, uh, shaky, untrustworthy right now. Is Evan Mobley actually still getting better? Did Jared Allen lose his man card in the play? Sorry about that. I accidentally exited the studio. Hopefully that was only a few seconds. Uh, so going back to this Magic Cavs situation tonight, say you were to bet the Orlando Magic plus 164. That is the money line, and you were going to bet them straight outright to win, or you were going to bet them plus 4.5 against the spread. Let's imagine either are options. I'm looking for a pen if you see me scrambling on the YouTube right now. What is he doing? Um, all right, I'm going to have to do it in my head. So if you were to have one unit on the plus 164 of the Orlando Magic to win this game, and then say we get to halftime, you're looking good. Magic are up 12, and we're going into the second half, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are suddenly plus 200. You might say to yourself, it might be time to start to bet the other side. Now, the reason to do it, the reason to do it is not just because you can, not just because the value is there. Go back to my parlay example. If you are thinking about hedging a live bet just because your bet looks good, don't do it. Shut your computer. Turn off the game. Stop panicking. And just watch your bet. Or just don't even watch your bet. Just let your bet ride. If it's the decision is being made solely because the option presents itself to lock in profit, that is a bad idea. Now, if we get to said game and the third quarter starts and Paolo picks up his fourth and, you know, Franz has already got three and, you know, like Wendell Carter's out of this game and you start to say, oh, shit, like the, the, the Cavs might really make a run here and there's foul trouble. Or you see, uh, I don't know, Paolo get, pull, his, pull his hamstring, knock on wood. I hope, he does not, I hope that does not happen tomorrow. Uh, let's say Paolo pulls his hamstring. And you're like, well, now the odds are still what they are because he's been taken out and the, the score still, the odds are still reflective of the current score in the time of the game more than the availability of Paolo. But I'm going to wait the availability of Paolo and I want off this ticket because I'm scared in the second half that the Cavs might make a roaring comeback at home. Orlando lost their best player. They're going to be playing a little disjointed. Now you have reason to do it. If you have reason to do it, I'm okay with it. And then if you have reason to do it, you have the choice of how you want to handle that situation depending on how strong your reason is. You have really strong conviction. I got to let Bronny in. You have really strong conviction that the Cavaliers are going to come back and win this game. Tilt your exposure towards the Cavs. You're equally confused about what the fuck's going to happen. Split the difference in your hedge. You still think that the, the, the Magic are still going to cover a plus four and a half or cover that money line and still win the game, but it might be a really close barn burner, then cover your losses and keep the Magic as the ceiling because that will still result in the highest payout. So you have choices in dictating 
this payout structure for your hedge. It doesn't always have to be formula to break even. It doesn't always have to be formula to 50-50. It doesn't always have to be reverse tilting your exposure towards the other direction. You have the choice based on the information that you have. My perspective is you are generally making a negative EV decision. So I tend to do it towards the minimize my risk and just get my money back. And I'm not trying to secure profit or just split the difference or whatever. It has to be for a reason. The reason has to be good. And you have to know that you have that flexibility on how to handle it. Hold on one second. The queen has entered the building and it's her birthday, ladies and gents. Brian, you want to come say hi? That's an angel right there. You can't see her wings, but that is an angel right there. And it is her birthday. And my brawny turned five today. So shout out to her. Shout out to King James, who's probably going to win tonight. And it's going to screw over my son's ticket. How fun. Um, what else? We also, last thing we need to do, and then I'm going to take a quick break, watch some basketball, and come back and maybe recap it. Probably not. Just get on to the, to the Wednesday slate. I want to talk about contests. So... My guy, TJ, who some of you might meet in the next coming weeks, reached out to me, and he's in a survivor contest in which you have to pick one winner. This is how survivor pools and football work. You have to pick one winning team each week. It's basically just a money line bet. And if you are the last person in the tournament, the last team remaining, or you go all 18 weeks, you either split the pot with the few contestants who are remaining at the end of the season, or you take the home the whole the whole freaking pot of gold if uh, you're the last team left and it's like week 14 or 15 or 16. So we're at a situation where it's a little bit tricky in a thing like a survivor contest because you don't know how long it's going to go. You don't know how many people you're inevitably going to have to split with. So you have a lot less information to see like where is that light at the end of the tunnel? Where is that pot of gold? How much will that pot of gold be? It's very variable to how the next few weeks play out. But it still definitely brings up the possibility of a hedge for a few reasons. One, you probably put a little bit of money in it and you have a potential very large earnings. It's probably equivalent to having some sort of like 40 to 1 ticket like I did on the Eagles last year where you're like, this is looking real good by week 14 or 15. I do want to secure some profit for myself. Uh, I do want to you know, capitalize on making it this far. And I'm okay with the massive payout if I get there, if I reduce it just a little bit. Now, it's a personal decision you're going to have to make. I, again, lean towards minimize how much you're taking off your ceiling, cover your losses, and keep it at that. However, this presents that situation. So now how would you hedge in a survivor pool? What would be the way to go about it? Now, TJ asked me, would I just pick the highest favorite and then work off of with the most valuable money line so that my, my exposure is at its minimum? I completely understand the logic there. 
but I think it's a there's a few more factors that go into it. I think you still need to play the contest. Like you need to potentially save teams for a week or two from now if that's the better option. Don't just play the heaviest favorite because you want to hedge in this formula. Play the contest in the way that's gotten you to week 14 in a survivor pool. I've been out of my survivor pools by, I, I think, week three. Um, I, th- I, think I, lost bo- I think I lost both of my survivors in week three this year. So don't be taking advice on me, but do what's gotten you to that point and pick the teams in whatever formula you've been picking. So maybe you've just been playing heavy favorites. I doubt it because you would have been fading the Cardinals earlier this season and gotten burned. Um, you might be looking at future week schedules. You might be looking at who's on the other teams and, so, and like, you know, which, who you think is going to be picked from other situations. You might be trying to save a matchup in the future. You need to consider all of those variables. The how to hedge is correct. You are going to bet the money line of the opposite side of the team you bet. If you take a favorite, you even have the ability to just take the the points and create a middle. Like say you took the uh, Minnesota Vikings this week and they're playing against the Raiders and you get the Raiders plus three and and it ends up being a three-point game and you push on one side and you move on in the other. That's a middle. You don't necessarily even have to lose the Raiders money line at plus money. You can even open up a football middle with some of these spots. You could, that would be one way of instituting a hedge. But yes, you are not going to like start. I guess you can't really do that in a, in a survivor pool. It becomes very obvious. The hedges with the money line, the opposite of what you're taking. Uh, my recommendation always is going to be recruit, recoup your money back. That would most likely be the ceiling of my hedge. Personally, I would just minimize risk. And again, if you minimize your risk this week and you take, you know, random team in the opposite money line and your team wins, so your money line lost, you now need to add what you spent on said money line to your contest entry fees to now know what your total risk is to then go to your next week's hedge so that you're recouping what you lost on the money line the previous week, and your total contrast entries. Your risk is going to accumulate through multiple rounds of hedging, but that's a good thing if ultimately your hedge and your really nice futures bet is progressing appropriately. So, like, people are playing in, in circa millions right now, and they might be near the top of the board and saying, like, oh, my God, I'm on – this side and 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 if this side wins i'm going to be top five in a in a circuit contest and some of the other sides of those those are potentially appropriate harder to do when you're picking five spreads playing against large field competition you're going to need to know some of the specifics who's near me in the standings how many games am i up or back what is the potential payoff so start including all these factors but definitely also consider what's the sharp movement on the board right like let's go over to the nfl real quick Uh, Pittsburgh seems to be is a heavy favorite, but not the sharp side. So if you were going to take the Steelers, you probably hedge a little bit. Uh, same with the Texans. Same with the Ravens. If you're going to take these heavy favorites, you're hedging. If you're taking the Colts, maybe you're letting it ride because the Colts seem like a sharp spot and they're the favorite. However, 
it's a very close spread. So you might want to say, okay, I might want a little bit of Bengals money line because the Bengals plus one doesn't really give me too much juice. Uh, you might take the San Francisco 49ers if you haven't used them already. And then either play back the Seahawks money line at plus 425. Shit, you could put a quarter of a unit on that as your hedge and you cover your whole other unit that you've already risked. Or you could play the plus 10 and a half. And if the 49ers win by anything 1 to 10, you've cashed both of those, baby, and you're moving on. So uh, whether it's parlays, highly, highly, highly recommend not hedging. Unless it's a crazy news break situation, markets moving heavy the other way. Like generally do not hedge a parlay. If it is a futures ticket, hedge with the what kills the moment the, the bet is killed is that the hedge opportunity. You are not hedging with more futures of the same ilk. You are hedging with money lines on the opposite side. If you are doing it in a live bet, same thing. You need to have reason to do it that is beyond the, I have the ability to do it. Just having the ability isn't a good reason to do it. I got the ability to go for a 10-mile run right now. I ain't doing it, all right? I ain't doing it. Um, so, yeah, I got an ability to kind of candy. I can go eat three pints of ice cream right now. I ain't doing any of those things. So you don't have to hedge just because you have the ability to do it. You still got to make the right decision for the health of your bankroll which is generally going to be stacking the right positive EV decisions together, which generally means avoiding the hedge. So uh, that is going to wrap me up for right now. I'm going to take a few hours break. I'm going to jump on the mic. I went 45 minutes deep on a little strategy stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed it, found it informative. Reach out to me if you have any questions. I'm going to make the next seg segment brief when I come back. But thanks for tuning in and I will talk to you guys soon. Mm, all right. I knew it. I knew it. This King James we're talking about. I'm glad I hedged with my son's ticket. I feel like a total schmuck for recording a 45-minute podcast detailing a hedge strategy on two futures tickets that died so quickly. Uh, but I'm laughing about it because I know it's the right strategy. The irony of, of, of that is just, it doesn't fall on deaf ears for me. I pulled up the screen. Let's do this quickly. I know I went too long before. Uh, we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to talk about the Austin Reeves timeout and play LeBron calling the timeout when the Reeves didn't have the ball, do we? No, let's skip it. You know what I do need to call out quickly? Just because LeBron won a regular in-season tournament game doesn't mean we immediately have to go back to the LeBron versus MJ GOAT debate right now. Like, it is the lowest form of sports content and sports fodder and clickbait bullshit to do LeBron's the GOAT because he won the playing game or if LeBron wins like are we kidding I'm pretty sure everyone who tweets that is kidding in some sort but like Jesus Christ like can we leave like the MJ LeBron out of a, a game that LeBron played against KD and book in on December 5th why don't we talk about the KD LeBron after this like that's an, an actual conversation drumming up this inevitable situation where we're going to need a multiverse to help solve the situation of LeBron versus MJ 
Like, let's give it a rest. Most people who even have this debate didn't watch both of them. Like, I'm the biggest LeBron fan in the world. But, like, I don't even entertain the LeBron versus MJ debate because when MJ was cooking and, and going three-peats in the finals, I was six years old. I don't remember. I've, I've seen clips. I've seen highlight packages. I watched Last Dance. I've kept up on so much MJ stuff. Look at this. Oh, look what hangs above my desk, fellas. My prized possession of life. I have two prized possessions of life. This is Michael Jordan in Space Jam. Picture of the of of one of the scenes with his autograph on it. Boom. And the film strips. That's like that's like the actual little film strips that you get developed from the camera that filmed this scene. Signed by MJ. She. Yeah. That's like, that's that's like one of my greatest prized possessions in life. And you don't hear me talking LeBron versus MJ and talking Le, that Le, LeBron's the GOAT. My other prized possession in life, she made a debut earlier. All right, we got to move this plant out of the way. Ba-boom! There she is. The Queen Gween. She's so confused. All right. I said this was going to be quick, and I came back and did five minutes of bullshit. All right, let's talk about some of these games. Good for LeBron. God damn my futures tickets. I was up 16 and a half units entering this week with a, a, a nine to one and an 11 to one on two amazing teams to win this damn tournament. Added to my bet position on the Celtics, as you know, hedged a little bit on the Lakers, as you guys know. I really thought I could be cooking with gas like mid, like mid to late this week and be north of 20, 25 units in the NBA this season. Instead, I'm like right back down to 12-ish range because of the hits that I took, uh, 13. And it sucks. And we got no, no, no more of those glooming lights at the end of the tunnel that I was talking about before. So we're going to talk about this slate. We're going to hit a few games here. We got three best bets on the board. Uh, we have three units in play, and we're going to win them all and start recouping this and, and get into that 20, 25 units anyways. Uh, the first one is going to be Philadelphia 76ers. I have them at minus nine and a half, which is at Caesars Sportsbook. Uh, I like bringing up the FanDuel odds because it's the best presentation of the screen. I love the interface, so let's use that. Uh, we also get the splits here. We see 74% of the bets and 78% of the money on the Philadelphia side and the line moving out to 10. So if I could grab a 9.5 on the board, and I already know 10s are starting to pop up, that I know I'm going to obtain CLV. I know I have some strong splits, and we just saw the Christmas board light up. Green on green on uh, minus 450, red on the plus 350 of that Wizards money line. So looks like that market's about to settle at that 10. Good thing that, tick, that ticket is uh, three quarters of a unit, 0 0.75 units on the Philadelphia 76ers, minus nine and a half. You knew you were going to get some strong splits on the 76ers side. This team's been unbelievable this season, the 76ers. What are they? Uh, 
12 and 7. Embiid's pretty much playing every game. They're going against the Wizards, who are 3 and 16. Jordan Poole looks like he needs to be shipped out of town. Danny Avia looks like the best player. Daniel Gafford, okay, sure, you ain't going to stop Embiid. Uh, Maxi's on a tear. Like for for so many of these basketball reasons, and and these Wizards games have not been close. It's also a really short trip from Philly to nation's capital of DC to go play in what is it called? Where do the Wizards play? What's what's the Wizards Arena name? Capital One. It's gonna say like I forget what I was gonna say. I don't know why I just blanked on that. I usually know all the arenas. Okay. Then we go over to San Antonio against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Where do the Timberwolves play? The Target Center. We know that. Target. I was there today in California, Target. Really good Christmas stuff. I got some holiday candles. I got some holiday scented deodorants. Your boys got eggnog, spiced eggnog deodorant. Aluminum free, obviously. Um, okay. I'm also on the over for the Spurs-Timberwolves game. Spurs-Timberwolves over, and the number that I got it at was 226 and a half. On Bet Rivers, we see it as 227 and a half here. I noticed that for this uh, Spurs-Wolves, oh, Spurs-Wolves, I got over 225 and a half on Caesars. Sorry, we're going to talk about the other one in a second, which is 226 and a half at Bet Rivers. 225 and a half, the Spurs Wolves over at Caesars for 1.5 units. I do want to quickly talk about Spurs and Wolves overs in general, like in relative to each individual team. Sorry, I'm blanking. It's been a long day. Um, I can't, for even though the Wolves have been incredibly defensive, like I also think the Bucks are pretty incredibly defensive. And uh, where is this? I think the Bucs are incredibly defensive and like they can't stop anyone. So for those reasons, I'm like, even though the Wolves are a very defensive team, I still want to. What the fuck? Hold on, guys. Stick with me for one sec. What's happening right now? is I can't find my studio. Meaning I can't see myself. Meaning I don't know what's on the odd screen appropriately. This is really shitty. Sorry, I don't. What the? Geez, I hate when my computer just does this. All right, figured it out. 
If you're still with me 55 minutes into this podcast after I've had technical difficulties, appreciate you being here. All right, so I'm on that 76ers minus 9.5 as we discussed. I'm also on the Spurs uh, Timberwolves over 225.5. I want to quickly touch on Spurs Wolves over situations. Um, The Spurs are just, even though they have Wemby defensively and he provides length, they play with so much pace and they shoot so much and it creates a lot of fast break opportunities because they shoot a lot of threes too, that they're not good defensively. Like they're actually really, really bad defensively. Really bad. So I love backing Spurs over because the the pace, the shot selection, and the talent all scream overs. I'm actually pretty terrified to back Spurs unders because they can score and they can get blown out. Now let's talk about the Timberwolves. Now the whole season we've been talking about how great the Timberwolves defense have been, how Gobert has had a resurgence, how McDaniels and Ant-Man are like a defensive Mike and Scotty. Uh, Well, I've heard it said it it wasn't originally my thought. And again, I ain't going to even have that debate because I don't even really know that much, but I just think that's a little bit, that's a little bit of a stretch because they haven't done it yet. Um, But anyways, I go back to priors. I always start to use priors when I'm capping early season. They'll come a point where I throw them away and just use this season's data. But we're only quarter way through the season, so I want to use some priors. I was shocked the last two seasons to, to see a bet that a few books offered, which was highest scoring team on the season. Which team is going to score the most points? Last year we knew it was the Kings. I think this year it's pretty obviously going to be the Pacers. Uh, however, the number one team in those odds in back-to-back years was the Minnesota Timberwolves, even with Gobert. Like, and they were clearly ahead of the pack last year and like right at the top this year. So why is that? Why are these books pricing such a defensive team in, in the narrative as one of the highest scoring teams in the league? I prefer sports book information more than sports narrative. So that's like a huge bit of information that I learned from keeping in perspective my priests and priors that despite how good the Timberwolves defense has been, I really like backing Timberwolves overs because they're still a high scoring team and it's going to show throughout the season. And I've actually gotten to the point where I was just talking about the Bucs being a pretty good defensive team. It's a kind of thing where the defense shows up when you need it to. The Lakers are a really good defensive team when you need them to be, when it's a close game in the fourth quarter. But if they're going to be a pace and space team, if they're going to be running heavy pick and rolls between Gobert and Mike Conley and then having Ant slash the hoop and Cat space the floor – there's a lot of offensive talent out there. There's a lot of space to work with in the terms of basketball geometry. So if they're going to score a lot of points, I'm going to like backing their overs too. So I saw two teams that I could back both overs for. I saw a 225.5 on the market. I even saw 226s and 226s and a half. Now we just saw in the odds before I had the technical difficulties that uh, 227 and a half was showing up. So that was actually my 1.5 unit bet, and I'm really happy to see that. So great spot that we are in there. So I have three quarters of a unit on the 76ers. I have 1.5 unit on the Spurs Wolves over. 
again, I had the information that there was a lot more room for movement. And the last one I grabbed is the over 226 Mavericks Jazz. This was another one where there was information in all the books that this was going to trend up. The opening line was 226. There's 226 and a half at all the sharp books. There's 227 and a half out there. There's even a 228 on the board. So that makes me want to grab seeing that disparity, seeing that much uh, volatility in the market that exists. You know my 226 has the ability to go to 228. You know those 228s have the ability to come back down a little bit. You don't totally know the direction, but if you grab the opening line, which was 226, or if you know the opening line was 226, and you know that there's already 228s, then you're better off grabbing the over from the opening instead of the, the under from the highest ceiling. Now, I didn't want to open a middle yet because two points of middle wiggle room in NBA totals is not enough to cover the 5% implied probability and make it a vol valuable wager to go size sizable sizably on. Uh, so instead, I actually only grabbed a 226 for three quarters of a unit on this one as well because all the sharp books that I really track were at that 226.5. And uh, some of the ones that I less trust their numbers I mean, the lines were there, but I less trust the it being really smart. I think it's more of a reaction to handle, whereas up to 228. So I think those are going to start to come down. You put a 228 on the board, you're asking for someone to come in in the undermarket and take your number. You put a 226 on the board, you're asking for someone who wants an over to come grab that. So these are probably going to hit a middle zone. Uh, Jazz Mavs, we know the, the Mavericks have... <laughs> 30-0 last game, comeback run from OKC to still lose. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how that carries over into the next game. The Jazz, are they getting Jazz injury report? Do they have marketing back? No marketing, no Kelly Olenek, no Jordan Clarkson. So to see movement towards the over, despite some of these offensive players going to be out there, just makes me think it's going to be a heavy pace game. So I'm on the over. It's only three quarters of a unit, too, because you are missing some key pieces from the Jazz. I do talk about Luka playing in half-court sets, but we have a lot of information from the market that says it's at least worth an investment on that over 226 and seeing where it shakes out. I'll put my sports opinion to the side and play numbers because if you have two points of disparity in a total and one of them is at the opening market, you go and grab that sucker er time. All right, that is going to end it for today. Let's show her one more time. We talked her straight to sleep. I hope I didn't do the same to you. I hope you enjoyed tuning in with me for the head discussion. I hope you learned a little bit. Follow all my resources. I will be back probably at the end of the week to do a little NFL pod. I have a visitor coming to town, so might be a little bit uh, less content coming from me this weekend. Thank you, as always, for tuning in.